Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. My whole career is based on a, uh, a real dedication to integrity. And the people that I work with all know that. When people are letting me into their lives, they're giving me a huge privilege which is they are sharing a part of themselves and often an intimate part of themselves. And with that comes great responsibility and, 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 and it's not a static responsibility, it's a moving responsibility. It, it happens in, um, in fluid ways and I think a lot about that and I, that's really important to me. Like it would horrify me if I ever took a picture or put a picture out or took advantage of one of my subjects in, in a way because I had that, that, that privilege to enter their, their lives. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. George, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks so much. Good to be here. Yeah. So I was introduced to you by uh, way of our mutual friend, Joseph Logan, who has been sending me some really amazing and interesting people. And uh, when I got to look uh, you know, at my first peak of your photography work, I was immediately intrigued, given that we both have Glenn Beck in common as a friend, which we will get to. But before we get there, I want to start with a question that I have not started the show with before. And that is, uh, which of the two parents uh, that you have were you closest to and why? Wow. Um... Well, I was very close with both of my parents. My dad was really special. He's been gone about 20 years. And, um, and, and I remember, you know, so little from growing up outside of the pictures, but, but the, but all of my memories are really sensual. Uh Um, I remember waiting on the steps for him to come home from work. He worked about an hour from Pittsburgh. Um, and, and I remember just waiting, 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 and then just him coming up the street and in the driveway and just that hug, mm-hmm. you know, was just really, really powerful. But he was he was a very um, honest and happy and beautiful guy um, and, and gave me my first camera at the age of, um, of seven. And the, and the interesting thing about my father was um, when you, this is a, a photo reference, but when you use a lens, there's a thing called depth of field, mm-hmm. which means that when you're when you're wide open, what's what's on either side of the focal point is out of focus. It's a very narrow focal point, and I often think of growing up as having a very narrow depth of field. We lived very much in the moment. We didn't talk about the past that much. We didn't talk about the future that much. We didn't even talk about our day that much. It was we were together and we were happy and um and it was very it was very much about that and that's that's continued into my later life after my father died and 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 my mother you know we become even even closer she's 89 she lives in the same house that she grew up in and that i grew up in so there's a lot of uh, history there mm-hmm. um you know i'm curious you know like over the course of your life you know having grown up in, in such a state of presence you know we have a world in which we're not present now you know between digital cameras you know phones text messages i'm curious like how have you maintained that throughout the course of your life like and how would other people do that well um i i wrote a book called the unforgettable photograph and um the 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 core idea with that was really appreciating your life in new ways and appreciating what's right in front of you each day. Almost even before you open your eyes in the morning, there are things going on. There are maybe the smell of breakfast. There's maybe someone that you're listening to. I'm listening for my kids' feet to come running up to the bed and uh, say good morning or going down meeting them. Um, But I feel like there are three things that that I kind of think about every day one is seeing my world from a different angle um that there are certain rituals that we have every day that we see in the same way every day and if you flip it and look at it from a completely different different angle it's a whole different world on what you're doing every day for instance i was going to the um 
to the bus stop every day last year and dropping my kids off and all the parents are dropping their kids off and they're waving. I have a seven, I have seven and 10 year old boys mm-hmm. and you know, we wave at the boys and they go on the bus and they wave back and they go off. And I'm wondering towards the end of the school year, well, what's their experience up on the bus of this daily ritual that we have? So I, I got permission and I went up on the bus with them one day and sat with them and looked out and there's a whole other world going on right there that I was watching from this one angle every day. When you look out from their angle, the windows are very cinematic, very thin and wide. And you have all these parents like kissing, (laughs) blowing kisses and and sending hugs and drawing on the windows and doing all these incredibly sweet, sweet things. And then the way the kids situate themselves in the bus, I mean, it's this whole other social uh, network going on up there that I never saw before. Mm-hmm. And the next day I go to the bus stop and the parents say, wow, did you go on the bus yesterday? What were you doing? I said, it was incredible. It's just three steps and it's a whole other world. It's a whole different way of seeing what we do every single day. And the parents go, well, I want to go up on the bus. <laughs> and, I, and I said, it's three steps. You just have to take three steps and you're there. Yeah. And you know what? It's sad, but no other parents ever took those three steps. And I feel like so many experiences in our lives, we can take those, take a couple steps and see our world from the, a completely different angle. And it totally changes our way of uh, appreciating it. Uh-huh. Um, one other thing that I do, people ask me all the time, like, how do I take better pictures? And my first, my Got answer. My first answer is is always close your eyes uh-huh. and you and use all of your senses because people think that taking pictures is really about just looking. This is what my coffee looks like. This is what the sunset looks like. This is what the mountains look like. And it's really more about what does this feel like? What does it sound like? What does it taste like? And um, and then. Doing that with your eyes closed awakens all of your other senses and then open your eyes and add that to to your picture taking. And then the the third thing that I think about a lot came about recently. I was invited to speak on a panel about beauty, mm-hmm. which I never really thought about that much that um, objectively. And I realized that everything I do every day is a search for, for raw, deep beauty. And I find it everywhere. I find it at breakfast. I find it at the schoolyard with the kids. I'm very involved with, with my kids. Um, but I'm, I'm the dad that's down on their knees talking to the other kids each day, taking their pictures. I photograph you know, my, the whole process. But um, there's just such incredible beauty in the most everyday, obvious things. And I don't mean obvious like your coffee. I mean obvious like your feelings. I want to photograph what things feel like and and the beauty that um, that's in front of us. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, you know, I'm interested in, you know, that moment when your dad gave you your first camera. And the question that came to my mind when, when you told me that was, um, do you remember the first picture that you took that made you realize that this is what you wanted to do with your life? Well, one of the funny things that happened is I wound up going in the dark room pretty early. And there was something about being in that room that uh, that I found very, very seductive. You know, the feel of the paper and the chemicals, watching the magic of the whole process. I really love that. So I, I kind of came in through the dark room and wanted to create more images to develop in the dark room. But as I've, you know, I've been photographing every day since the age of seven. I'm 62 now. So I've taken, you know, a lot of pictures and, and I realized that it's my way of um, of capturing feelings and capturing memories and capturing um, the way people connect with each other. I'm I'm really obsessed with 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 how we all approach each other and being connected. I photograph strangers every day, and um, when I was growing up, I was photographing more friends and more schoolmates and things like that. But um, I just I just love uh, the freedom that, it, I, you know what? I feel like you're photographing me now. <laughs> I'm used to being on this side of the camera, behind the camera. And when you're, when you're doing that, you're really asking um, lots of questions. Mm-hmm. You know, you're wondering, 
what is the story? What am I feeling? How are we all connected? And I think, you know, early on, it was very intuitive, the, that process. And now um, I'm more aware of the process, but I can't say that it's any less of a mystery. Mm-hmm. So walk me that through. That doesn't talk about my first, photo, my first photographs. Though. Yeah. So walk me through from being seven with that first camera to how you get to today. Um, you know, what's been the journey that led you here? Wow. Wow. Um, you know, I'm really lucky very early on in my life in high school, I knew that I wanted to um, take pictures. So I had that uh, that kind of guiding guiding um, ambition. I, I went to um, Rhode Island School of Design after high school. I, I worked for my high school newspaper and high school um, high school yearbook and, and did all of that and then went to Rhode Island School of Design and I wound up having an, an extraordinary teacher there named Wendy McNeil. And she told me every week like a mantra, don't think, just take pictures. Mm-hmm. The other amazing thing that happened there was um, I went up to see a guy named Dwayne Michaels give a talk at the MIT and I recorded it on a little cassette recorder and he spoke very quickly and I went back and I spent a week transcribing this whole talk and that talk really became my, um, my Bible. And, um, and Dwayne's just been, he's an amazing photographer. He's now 88. And what he said up at that talk was that taking pictures and writing is his way of saying, I was there. I saw this, I felt this, I heard this, it happened. And that connected with me so, so deeply. You know, many years later, I, I would run into Dwayne per- periodically and he would say, call me. And he was such a big force in my life that I could never call him. But I finally did this last fall and I visited him um, several times in New York. And it's, it's kind of extraordinary when your hero turns out to be the real deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I left RISD, graduated from RISD, went to New York. Um, a friend of mine was the main assistant for Annie Leibovitz, who was also a hero. And um, I got the job as third assistant for Annie. And she and the first assistant would argue and fight all the time. It was very, very volatile. Um, and I knew that I would get the, the job as her first assistant if I just hung tight and I figured out my um, strategy of dealing with her, which was that I would do anything for her, which I told her when, when I got that position, but she could never yell at me. Mm-hmm. So for a year, we had this extraordinary experience. It was the last six months of Rolling Stone and the first six months of um, Vanity Fair for her. Vanity Fair was uh, just starting up again. And we went all over the world and I was her only assistant and her main assistant. And I just had, you know, the most amazing time. And what I learned from her was not how to light, was not how to use this camera, that kind of film. I learned choreography. There's a certain rhythm to the way a professional photographer kind of interacts with their subjects, with their clients. And um, and I learned Annie's choreography. And then when I left her, I had to figure out my own choreography of how I would go through similar experiences, but create pictures that were my own. The, um, the funny thing is after a year of having like truly this amazing relationship with, um, with Annie, she got upset about something. She turned and yelled at me one day and I said, Annie, you know the deal. And I just walked out and that, and that was it. But we actually ended on, uh, we both appreciated each, each other's, uh, a lot. And I was, you know, in the dedications of her books and, uh, and good feelings, even though it was kind of a sudden end. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I um, I got an assignment. I had met an art director towards the end of Annie at Geo Magazine, which is the one of the biggest photojournalism magazines at the time, along with Life. It's a German magazine, but they had an American edition. And um, and I was I was at an anti-nuclear rally in New York, and I was following a group called Bread and Puppet Theater from Northern Vermont. And I just thought they were an incredible story. And I see this picture editor for Geo in the crowd as I'm going up Fifth Avenue and I run out and I say, Elizabeth, it was Elizabeth Biondi who later became a picture editor at 
at the New Yorker. And I said, this is an incredible story. We should do a story on them. And she said, come, come and see me. So I went to her office and got the assignment. But I only owned one camera and one lens, and that was it. And I started going, it was the middle of August, I started going up to northern Vermont to photograph Bread and Puppet Theater, who were amazing, but they were completely photophobic. They didn't want to have anything to do with my photography, except they gave me permission to be there. So I shot like a fly on the wall and took all these, all these pictures and traveled around with them and built this beautiful story, but it was missing something. And I kept going up to northern Vermont and back down to New York. I was using up credit at all the labs in New York. I had no money left. And it was the beginning of November, and I had a meeting at GEO, and they said, you have one more chance to go up there. If you don't get the pictures that this story needs, we're going we're gonna to kill it, which would have meant I would have had to leave New York because I would have been out of money. So I go up to northern Vermont. It's getting dark early. It's my last day there. And I put a piece of black fabric against the barn. And almost in tears at the end of the rehearsal, I say, I just need you to stand in front of this black fabric in your puppets. Um, they're big mass. For five minutes, I have to get these pictures. And they shrugged and came down. And they stood there. I had no lights. The sun went down. And I went back down to New York with these pictures. I had a big meeting with the whole editorial staff at GEO. And I showed these pictures and they all applauded and I got the cover and 14 pages on the inside. And that launched my career. At the same time, I had a portfolio of pictures of Annie. That's all that I had to show. It was a big 16 by 20 black and white portfolio. And I would go to magazines and I'd say, I'd like to work for you. So I went to Avenue Magazine, which was a beautiful black and white, a lot of art photographers um, magazine that was handed out by Limousine in New York. And the average person, I think, was worth the net worth was a million dollars. And they had this beautiful publication. And I went and saw the editor and he said, I'll put you on our try to use list. I really like your work. And I said, please don't put me on your try to use list. I'm not leaving your office until you give me an assignment. And the guy laughed. His name was Michael Schneerson, who's you know a great writer and has worked for Vanity Fair in the years since. And um, and he gave me an assignment, and I did it. And he gave me another assignment. I worked for Avenue Magazine every month for years. Then I would go to the Condé Nast building, which was then at 45th and Madison, and I'd go up the interior steps. This is before the high high security, and I would start at the top and go down the go down the interior steps and stop at every magazine. And I would never get to the lobby without an assignment. And sometimes it was at Vanity Fair doing copy work on, they were doing a, a story on the Flying Melendez and I would copy pictures out of their scrapbooks. Or I'd go to Self Magazine and get a little assignment on some little beauty regimen or whatever it was, but I was just, I was just going to be a photographer, and there was no, <laughs> that, that, that had to happen. I got an assignment for, for Rolling Stone, I think they were paying me $75 to photograph the Violent Femmes, who had just come out with their first album. And I was supposed to go to Brooklyn and photograph them. And at that point, I owned one light. And I go to Brooklyn, and the light doesn't work. And in my memory, I burst into tears. I probably didn't, but I was you know, visibly upset. And, uh, and they said, listen, come out to Milwaukee. You can stay with the drummer, Victor, and take all the pictures you want. So I didn't have a credit card at the time, but I found a place in Chicago that would rent a car for cash. And I go to Milwaukee and I stay with the drummer and I take these pictures that were, you know, I shot them for three days and, and we became friends. And, um, and I got my, my first story in um, Rolling Stone. That's how I started. <laughs> the rest is just, you know, it, it was a combination of being able to develop a photography career at a really optimal time when there weren't that many photographers. It's before, you know, Instagram and cell phones and uh -huh. all of that. It's a time where magazines were running pictures really large and um, really appreciating photography. And um, 
I just had a really amazing run. The one thing that I that I didn't do is I really wasn't settling in on a style. I was settling in more on, on a sensibility, mm-hmm. which could be applied to anything. So I would get an assignment from Fortune to photograph Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, and they had never been photographed together. And it's at Steve Jobs' house, and they never were photographed together after that either. But I go into these situations, and and the way that I that I see the world is not surfaces. I'm not interested in what someone's wearing or what their hair is doing or how their makeup is or any of that. I'm kind of after something else. It's it's really rather than looking wide, I'm looking deep. I'm I'm really trying to find it, it sounds corny, but I'm really finding trying to find a soulfulness to um to the photograph and to the person and it's actually in the opposite order. I'm like having this experience with um, with with my subjects and then photographing it. But the photography is not actually what I'm that interested in. I'm really interested in creating an experience. And you know, to your point at the very beginning, when I go in, I don't know what I'm what I'm after. Yeah. I, I try and there, you know, when you read about Keith Jarrett, the uh, jazz pianist. He gets on the stage when he's doing a a solo performance and he clears his head. He has nothing in his head of where he's going to go with this performance. He just kind of reaches in and and feels it. Um, And when you when you're good at your craft, you can you can you can do that. Um, I've been taking pictures a long time and and I know that anything that I can think up or feel I can I can create and make work. So I, I go into these shootings and I have no agenda. You know, oftentimes my my clients will have an agenda, but I won't. Um, I you know which which I'll which I'll execute. But a lot of times they're hiring me for this for this process that is it it's just going in and opening yourself up. And you know, people say that they're vulnerable or try to be vulnerable. Well, that's the place that I photograph out of every day and I create a space that for me is not really safe and is not really um, even clear but then through the interactions with the persons through our through our discussions through a great deal of empathy hopefully I um, find a place that is special and you know lots of times when I photograph celebrities and lots of other people, they'll look at these pictures and go, that's exactly who I am. And it's it's because I'm not trying to take that perfectly lit, perfectly made up, perfectly messaged even picture, but I'm trying to go to that place that's like, oh, I know that feeling. I know I, I know what what that what that is. And it's it's sometimes if you think of the piano as as white and black keys and the white keys being all the major pictures, I feel like I'm playing the black notes a lot. That 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 I'm I'm going for pictures that are a little bit smaller than the big iconic picture, but um, hopefully more charged with um, feeling and and meaning. Mm-hmm. So you know, my career, I've just had a really wide mix. I've done a lot of branding work for for big companies from you know Microsoft and. Cardinal Health and uh, IBM, like I've had a wonderful run at IBM. Two, I photographed poets and celebrities. I've, I've done a lot of movie posters and TV ads, you know, to go into the White House and um, photographing presidents. Hmm. Democratic ones. <laughs> 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 I, I, I grew up a big liberal in uh, Pittsburgh and uh-huh. You know, my job is glorifying people. So if Republican politicians, especially in my youth, is where I kind of drew the line saying, like, I just I just can't can't go there, even though I wish them well and respect (laughs) them and want them to do a great job. It's just like I'm not going to be taking those pictures. Yeah. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Wow. Wow. Um, so many questions. So I, I want to start with uh, Annie Leibovitz because I, I think even if you know absolutely nothing about photography, you know that name, and it's almost synonymous with the word photography in my mind. Like you know, the moment you mentioned that, um, <clears throat> you know, you talked about what you learned in terms of, of skill from her. I'm really curious um, what you learned from somebody like that in terms of mindset and success that informed your career. Well, Annie. Annie is the real deal. I mean, she she is like heart, soul, blood. Every piece of her is, at least when I was was working with her, was into taking the best possible picture that she could. And it was her entire life, like each each shooting that she did. And she would do lots of research and do lots of thinking and sit there, you know, scratching her head and and, you know, really stressing over the pictures and really trying to find some place. And this process is kind of like having an itch on your back that you can't quite scratch. You can't quite reach. And with and with Annie, she is, especially at the time that I'm with her, just like the images are everything, the the experience and uh and it's it's uh, complicated because she's she's going in. She was not quite the celebrity that she is now. Then she definitely did not have the budgets that she has now. And she was going in, and it just did not matter. She was going to get to the finish line. Like she was going to, you know, beg and steal and go completely broke or whatever it took to to uh, get those those pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it was amazing. Like. 
I'll tell you a funny story. I, I was on the shooting where she painted Steve Martin um, up where he's wearing the white tuxedo and the black Franz Klein paint across him. And, uh, and you know, at that time with Annie, she didn't have the, first of all, it was shooting film and it wasn't digital. And um, we would get all this film and it would be in kind of a white unmarked box and we would go to the airport and fly home and she would go up to Rolling Stone and uh, edit the film. Um, this time with that shoot, which is one of the most, you know, famous shoots in her in, in her canon, um, we go to the airport, I give Annie the film and we fly off to New York. When we get to New York, we're, we're in the car going back into the city. She goes, where's the film? I said, I don't have the film, you have the film. And she said, I don't know where the film is, but don't talk to me until you have it. So I, I had to hire three assistants in New York, or in, excuse me, in Los Angeles to go through the airport. And they're, and they're speaking to everyone and they're tracing all of our footsteps. They're going through the garbage at the um, rent-a-car company because it's in this unmarked white box. Finally, someone from behind the ticket counter waves this box and says, is this what you're looking for? And, you know, things like that on any shoot, as solid as these shoots are, that's how fragile they are, too. They are, uh, they are moments that, that are part of a creative process that is very pure, and the commerce around them is really brought in by other, by other people. I mean... I think it's really hard with creatives, you know, we're all having to be business people and having to be marketers and all this. And the truth is, you know, most creatives are really good at being creatives and they aren't so good at the commercial stuff. I mean, it's pretty widely known that Annie almost went bankrupt a couple of year, years ago and had to put up her whole body of work as, as a collateral to get a loan. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's really hard to, uh, to balance the um, the, the uh, business part of it. However, you know the lesson that I learned from Annie, and you know almost every other creative that that's successful that I've been around, is what my wife tells me every single day, and it's her mantra, which is the work leads to the work. Yeah. Yeah, that actually is such a perfect setup for my next question, um, which is, you know, you've been commercially successful as an artist and a creative professional uh, for what it sounds like is a good amount of your career. And, and you've really been in a fortunate position. And I think, you know, to some degree, I can say the same, given that I, I've, you know, had the fortunate pleasure of, of having the privilege of writing books. Uh, I'm really curious, um, has your definition of success uh, in your field changed with age? And, and if so, how? <laughs> well, the uh, biggest way that it changed was was having kids, mm -hmm. because up until then, you you know you figure well if if I'm having a good year or a bad year, I can kind of make it work. Um, once you have kids, it's like a whole different equation. That's um, not only you know what you're doing now, but you have to be putting money away for their future and school and you know and. You don't have the, the freedom of time, of, of unlimited time, to, um, to do your work. So, so that's, that's um, definitely changed. But the thing that, that doesn't change is what drives me is this itch. What drives me every single day is um, I get blown away by meeting people and I get blown away by this search for beauty. And and I go out in the world and I find amazing people every day. And it's really parts of people that get overlooked or too busy or uh, and it's not even taking pictures all the time. Last last week, I was in New York with a woman that that started Daybreaker, which is a, you know, wake up at 6 a.m. and do yoga for an hour and then two hours of heavy duty dancing. And she has this going on these big events in in uh, 20 different cities. And she's super successful and she's dreaming it up. And I, I, we did not talk. I mean, we had some, we both looked at her board of sponsors and says this, you know, acknowledge this is what, what keeps the uh, lights on. But I don't think that when you're a creative that you make your decisions based on, on money. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course you have to put the lights on. Of course that's a huge responsibility, 
but I think that the work really does lead to the work, that if you do great work and you ev- allow yourself to evolve and take risks and and really, you know, I've been taking pictures so long and yet every day I feel like I'm just an inch away from taking this picture that's going to define me. Mm. And, and I never go look at my work and say, oh, I don't have to take any more pictures because there they are. You know, after after millions of pictures that I've taken, I'm still going to go out this afternoon and take this one picture that I've been trying to find my whole life and hopefully we'll never find because it's this journey um, that has been so rich and continues to give me so much. And this camera opens up all these doors to all these people. I mean, my camera has essentially opened the door to to get to speak to you and all of your listeners today. And that's just, you know, that's such a gift. Uh, and, and I, um, I just, you know, the uh, commerce part, part, to be honest, eludes me a little bit. What I do do is surround myself with people that create the framework and, and do the, um, do the briefs mm-hmm. and do, you know, and, and kind of, do the billing and, and uh, handle all of the um, business stuff that that puts the lights on and puts food on our table and pays the rent. Yeah. Were there any major low points in your career? Huh. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, the last several years have been rough because I feel like we are all inundated with so much. Me- this is going to sound like like an old guy complaining <laughs> and I really don't mean it that way, but we're so inundated with images and media and so much, so many podcasts that we want to listen to and all this stuff that photography um, in so many places is not really appreciated. In my case, I feel like I, I don't need the photographs to be appreciated, but I do need the storytelling and the fact that I'm going to come into your company, let's say, and tell and really understand and share what makes it extraordinary. Not just what the product looks like, not what the CEO looks like, you know, but really what makes this chemistry amazing. And, uh, and I'm very good at that and I love doing that. And I feel like it gets judged on the output, which is the photography. And um, that's a hard sell right now mm. because People are looking at so many images that no images really are, are more valuable than a swipe. Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing that really struck me was that you said your job is to glorify people. Uh, and, you know, you've clearly photographed some very iconic figures in our culture. Uh, you know, former presidents, uh, people like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, uh, you know, our mutual friend Glenn Beck. And <laughs> a couple of things I'm, I'm curious about is, one, what do you see that you know, we necessarily don't when you look through the lens. Um, and how do you glorify somebody who already has such, you know, sort of glorified status in the eyes of, of the public? Like, how do you take somebody like that and glorify them more? Well, my father used to always tease me that I'm never impressed by, by anyone's success, <laughs> <laughs> which is, which is, you know, I, I certainly respect people's success, but I can't when I'm with them, it, it has to be a level a level playing field or I can't get to my pictures. So when I go in, I'm not thinking about how famous someone is. I'm not thinking about how much money they have. I'm not thinking about anything. I'm talking about their kids. I'm talking about, you know, what their day is like. I'm talking about, I I bring up things that seem so random and sometimes I even go beyond that. It's just, I'm not even making sense. It's more the rhythm of of the words I'm using than actually trying to make sense just to get someone into a place that we can share uh, a feeling or an idea that they would not normally share with a photographer. It's really funny when I speak to guys that do focus groups for brands and, you know, they go in and they have their ways of breaking people down. Well, you go in with the camera and if you, you know, are, are experienced and have done it the way that I've done it, People open up like really quickly and really for 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 me there's there's an easy path in mm-hmm. and uh, and 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 that's the place that I mine for the for the work that I do.
Wow. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing that's really interesting to me is, you know, over the course of our conversation, there's this thought that has been running through my head uh, about the work that you do. You know, you mentioned the idea of, of creating an unforgettable photograph. And what I, you know, I walked away from that thought thinking, you know, I think that your work is about more than creating an unforgettable photograph. It's about creating unforgettable memories in our lives. And I am curious, uh, one, you know, if you were to tell somebody, okay, this is how you create a life that is unforgettable, what would you tell them? First of all, thank you so much for that. I, I really, it's hard for me because I'm so deep into this sometimes yeah. to, to, to understand what, what I'm doing. You know, I, I am like very deep into this, this process in a very pure way and to step back from it and say that I am creating this experience or this feeling is, is actually what I'm after. Um, I think that for, for, um, for other people that that are wanting to create, uh, a, a, I guess a, a special life or, or an unforgettable life, you know, there are there there are certain things that are really pretty obvious. Like you know, your relationships are really important. Your values are really important. Trust and responsibility. You know, everyone teaches you that or talks about it or uses it as brand speak. But it's it's really important. My whole career is based on a uh, a real dedication to integrity, and the people that I work with all know that. When people are letting me into their lives, they're giving me a huge privilege, which is they are sharing a part of themselves, and often an intimate part of themselves. And with that comes great responsibility and, and 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 it's not a static responsibility it's a moving responsibility it it happens in um in fluid ways and i think a lot about that and i that's really important to me like it would horrify me if i ever took a picture or put a picture out or took advantage of one of my subjects in, in a way because i had that 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 privilege to enter their their lives I can give you a crazy example, which was I went to photograph Aretha Franklin years ago and I go to her house and she greets me and she says, I'll be out in a couple hours when I'm ready. And she comes out dressed as Queen Nefertiti, you know, total diva, totally done up. She lets me take maybe five or six pictures and she says, I'm going to change. Two or three hours after that, she comes dressed as something else like magnificent and beautiful and wonderful. And this goes on the whole day. At the end of the day, she goes in the kitchen, gets a plate of food, comes, she's in a pair of jeans. She goes on her sofa, unbuttons her pants, just the top, just to let it breathe, puts the plate of food on her lap and falls asleep. And I'm packing up to leave. I could take that picture. It would, it would be well known, I'm sure. Here's Aretha Franklin asleep with a plate of food on her lap, this whole thing. I did not take that picture. And there are many, many pictures that I have not taken because I respected the person and I respected the, the fact that they had let me into their life. And I really appreciate it so much. You know, not only famous people letting me into their lives, I'm doing a big story now for Dick's Sporting Goods on the emotional side of youth sports. Mm -hmm. And there are so many parents allowing their children to be photographed by me in their bedrooms with all their medals, in, you know, dugouts where they're living half the summer on a baseball team, in, in joy and in sadness, you know, the full range. And, uh, and I consider it such a privilege to be allowed to take these pictures. You know, even the mom reaching over on a hot day in Nashville, putting deodorant on her, you know, 11-year-old's armpits or whatever. It's like I'm getting to take these, these pictures and people are allowing me to. And there's a certain trust involved that is crucial to the way that I work. And it's the same trust that you have with your partner. The reason my marriage is so good is because of the same values. Like we do, you know, I respect my, my wife. I am completely honest with her. I, um, I listen to her. I, um, I appreciate her every day. 
you know, from the moment I'm barely awake until, you know, if she falls asleep before me, I'm looking over thinking how lucky I am. And that's, that's the way that I approach everything I do. Mm, wow. Wow. Um, so I have two last questions for you. And this one is kind of just out of the blue and off the wall. And it's based on a, an article that I have that is currently uh, getting a lot of visibility on Medium titled What We Should Have Learned in School But Never Did. And I've never asked this question to anybody in an interview, but what do you think we should have learned in school but never did? Wow. Great, great article. <laughs> I have to read it. Um, I think what I just told – well – um, I think that a lot of I'm, I'm going to speak to boys hmm. and I think that a lot of boys are taught and and we're taught um, about success and we're taught about these are the things you need to do for success you need to study hard you need to be disciplined you need to um, follow through you need to learn math and learn this and that and what we really aren't taught is what happens if we're successful. How do we how do we act if we're successful? How do we treat our employees? How do we treat our friends? How do we treat women? You know that it, it's just it's not discussed. It's not um, it's not taught. I think a lot of this whole Me Too movement is a result of men not being taught how to be successful and how to behave. Mm. and how to respect and those are really simple obvious things that i think are kind of left out of the mix um i consciously talk to my children about respect and about a appreciating everyone not only the people you like but the people that are on the other team and the people that are um struggling and the people that don't have it as good and and, and i know you know we should have we should appreciate it, you know, that people are are hurting, but I'm talking, you know, really as human beings. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the conversations that go on now, especially politically, I feel like they don't respect we aren't respecting each other as human beings. We we are all trying to to find success and to define meaning and everything, but the meaning is is in our relationships and in our respect for other people, especially people that we don't really know. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Um, so I have one last question uh, for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Well, I think that we're, that we're all unmistakable. I think that we're all really special and that we're all amazing. My, my job and my, my mission on this earth for this, you know, quickly passing life is to find what is amazing inside of every person. And it's different inside of every person. And that's what makes what I do amazing. Like it, it would be impossible to take the same photograph of every person. Uh -huh. it, you know, it's because because everyone's special in a different way and everyone has a special story and everyone is extraordinary in in sometimes the most obvious ways. And what, what I've tried to do is to, um, is to tell those stories. Wow. And, um, before we finish, I would love to talk about Glenn for, for a minute. Yes, absolutely. Please do. It's, it's an amazing story. I mean, when I first photographed Glenn Beck, I was in my no photographing Republican stage, but he was at headline news and I didn't know what his, what his politics were. So I do this shooting um, with my friends at Turner and we did about 10 different ideas, one of which was he was on a diet. So we put a dog collar on him so dogs can't scratch themselves and gave him a, a piece of cake that he wasn't allowed to eat. And every idea that we gave Glenn, he would like run with. And he was this fearless, wild creative and it was super fun. And then a couple weeks later, he was doing a book and he asked me to, to do the pictures and I did that. And we developed this relationship where I realized, and he told me specifically, you can take any picture you want. I will do it because I trust you. And, and, and we went on and developed a friendship and a working relationship for years when he had the rally in Washington at the height of 
Fox News and 300,000 people or whatever show up at this rally. He had been working on this speech the whole summer. And the day before the speech, he wants to read the speech to me in his hotel suite. And I go there and he reads the speech and he's so proud of it. He goes, wow, what do you think? I said, you're totally missing the point. I said, you have these people that have one-on-one relationships with you. They're listening to you alone at the gym on the on the elliptical. They're listening to you alone commuting. They're listening to you alone doing the dishes at home. They're all coming together to have a group experience and they're all on board with your politics. You don't have to talk about politics. They are coming to have a group experience with someone that they love. How can you not use the word love in your talk? And that conversation became the basis of our friendship. Wow. Because we're both really searching for beauty, yes, but searching for for love. And it's not that we need to be loved, although, you know, you could <laughs> you you could argue that possibly, but that we are searching for that place that we all love. And we are searching and trying to show how we are all connected. And you know, one thing that I do every single time I pick up the camera, whether it's with the Obamas or whether it's with these construction workers I shot in Boulder last last week who were extraordinary, is I say what I am doing is putting love out in the world. That's that's what I do. And that's what I'm searching for. And I did it with Glenn Beck. We disagree on absolutely everything politically. <laughs> he is wrong on everything. However, we became extremely close friends because the friendship transcended the politics. Wow. It was about how we connect. And when you look at the politics in the world right now, and if you could get more people understanding that it's not the politics, it's how we treat each other. Yeah. That is so important. And the real tragedy of what's going on now in Washington is people are treating each other so disrespectfully and so badly. And that is just the exact opposite of what my mission is in the world. Wow. Um, well, this has been truly amazing. I can see now why Joseph referred you, and I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and sharing your story and your insights with our listeners. Where can people learn more about you and your work? Um, on my website, which is Lang Studio, L-A-N-G-E studio.com. I'm at George.Lang, L-A-N-G-E on Instagram and, uh, and on Facebook. Excellent. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? 
We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.